Mondays ago, just after the last of the big rains came through. I left the office early and picked up our three-year-old Jimmy from preschool. And we drove off to see the wildflowers. It was still very early in the season. Reports of the super bloom had yet to come in. But that weekend, I'd seen some, you know, some flowers along the road, and I thought, I bet we can get this early. I bet we can get it just right. So I took a chance, and we set off for Grass Mountain near Los Olivos, an incredible spot. I had snacks for Jimmy in the car, which he gobbled up, and then proceeded to pass out, <laughs> as kids do when they are on the road. And he slept all the way until I had parked the car and like packed the backpack and got everything ready. As I was doing that, from that trailhead parking lot, I looked up at the side of the mountain and it was covered, covered in orange, orange poppies. Absolutely gorgeous. A far cry from the drought-cracked earth that I had witnessed when I first went to that spot, when I first got this job. Many years ago, we're still in the drought. Little sign of resurrection. But as I was taking it all in, Jimmy woke up, and sometimes when he wakes up, it can be a little rough. You know, he's not exactly ready to, like, go conquer the world. But this time, this time, he woke up, and he was raring to go. He hopped in. I have one of those little backpacks, you know, that with a kiddo in the back. He got in there, and uh, we set off. And we like sang songs as we were going along the trail, and we looked for lizards and birds, and we said hello to the half dozen other intrepid hikers on the trail. And after a long, steep climb, we made it to a spot where we were entirely surrounded by California poppies. The thing you couldn't tell, yeah, amazing, right? The the thing you couldn't tell from down below at the trailhead was that it wasn't just poppies, but interspersed between all those poppies, there were lupin, there was sage blossom, there were like these little star-shaped white flowers that grew on bushes, there were single-stemmed flowers that were red and orange, whose names I don't know. Jimmy and I laid down in the midst of these flowers felt just exhausted from the hot hike up. We put the backpack down in which Jimmy had ridden, and we were both like leaning back on there, and I brought some snacks, some real health food, you know, Cheez-Its, M&Ms, Gatorade. <laughs> it might have been part of his enthusiasm to start off. It might. But here we were, bellies warm, Father and son surrounded by wildflowers. It was parenting bliss. <laughs> yeah, you gotta do it. You can still do it. It was one of the best moments of my life. And as we were living it, I knew, I knew it was a moment I would remember again and again. A moment of overflowing love that would pour out 
into the rest of my life. I would remember it forever. Remember the key to Luke's account of the resurrection as we read it today. As always, the Easter story has more than we can possibly summarize, right? We're not going to like crack the code <laughs> right here. Not that there is a code to be cracked. Today we have egg hunts and bunnies. If you haven't seen the bunnies outside, get out and see them. Lucy and Ethel. Yeah, there they go. Oh yeah, there's one coming in. <laughs> We've got the ham and the glam and the fam today, so I'm going to keep it short. Keep it short, but let's look at a few, few points. First of all, I've said it before. I'm going to say it again. The first witnesses to the resurrection, the most important event in history, are women. It is women who are entrusted with the news. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Mary the mother of James. Shout out to my wife, who is also Mary, the mother of James. (laughs) Here in Luke, the women meet two men in dazzling clothes. Women and a couple of men looking fabulous. This is the foundation of the most important news ever. News that is truly new. Something so new it is a mystery 2,000 years later. But this eternal newness is not unfamiliar. We know this story, and so did the women who witnessed it. Earlier in Luke, Earlier in Luke, Jesus has already told his disciples, his followers, twice this exact story. What would happen? Once in chapter 9, once in chapter 13. Which is why the witnesses say, remember how he told you. And they remembered. Remember. That is the fulfillment of this passage and of the passage Jesus quotes while dying. Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You guys remember this? The psalm begins with suffering, but it concludes with this. All the ends of the earth shall remember the Lord. They shall remember the Lord and proclaim God's deliverance to a people yet unborn saying that he has done it. They shall remember the Lord. I love how great mysteries, like great inventions and great ideas, come to us like memories, like something that has always been there that we merely needed to uncover. Eureka, I have found it. I remember Every week here, we remember Christ's resurrection in the Eucharist, in this time that we'll celebrate soon. We don't simply recall it, but we participate in it. We remember, piece together the body of Christ, and so continue Christ's work as a community. The community called the body of Christ. In this way, resurrection continues 
the creator continues to create in and through and around us all. In his book, The Universal Christ, Franciscan priest and author Richard Rohr says, Resurrection is another word for change. We see that change in the long term, but in the short term, it only looks like death. In the short term, resurrection can look like death, like the loss of a loved one, the loss of a job, like years of drought on a grassy hillside or days of fire and flood. Because of the inherent loss behind all life and evolution, change is hard to identify when we first see it. That's why we get this line. Why do you look for the living among the dead? Why do you look for the living among the dead? Why can we not resurrect recognize resurrection as it is happening. Throughout Lent, here at St. Mike's, we have explored the theme of enough. What does it mean to have enough, to be enough? What does it mean with regard to time and energy and creativity and resources and spirit? What is enough? It can be hard to know. But here, at the end of Lent, we see that even nothing is enough for God. With God, there's always more than enough if we are willing to look, if we are not blinded. By fear. When we are scared, we are tempted to see only the dead, to see only Notre Dame aflame and crashing down, to see only the destruction of our planet as atmospheric carbon dioxide soars, to see only a nation so politically divided that we struggle to talk to family and shun any who think differently, even those we love. Our task the task of those who follow this story is to remember. Remember the love. Remember the love we've received from parents, mentors, spouses, siblings, children, friends, strangers, pets, nature. Remember Lazarus, the fig tree, the father with two sons, the perfumed feet. Remember the love like a parent and a child surrounded by wildflowers. Remember love Eternal, the eternal, ineffable love, the ground of our being, the creative force always at work in and around and through us, creating from nothing. That creative love sees us from all eternity. It knows us from all angles, from all time, and shows us what love looks like in the context of infinity. That love is always 
there, no matter how impossible the circumstances, no matter how much death we see, all we have to do is remember. Remember that God is always more than enough. Amen.